Hey, welcome to the Red Sessions here at the bottom half is red. You're going to enjoy these sessions. The purpose of these sessions are are to dig a little bit deeper. And what we're going to do in these sessions is you're going to hear a little bit more content. It's going to be a little bit more targeted. We're going to pull out some things from experience, depth. We're asking those that contribute to our Red Sessions to be more open, to be more honest. These sessions are going to capitalize on the content that we're laying out, but in a more extended way in order to shed light on some of these critical topics. These Red Sessions are going to add such value to your life. You're going to see it. You're going to hear it. Um, you're going to love it. Well, welcome to The Bottom Half is Red. And this is, as you just heard a second ago, a red session, and I am in the studio with our fabulous executive producer, David Tanderup, who, who bought us some coffees today. Mm-hmm. Sure appreciate that, David. That's the only way I keep getting invited back. That's right. No, that's not <laughs> true at all. Um, I am also with my wife and co-host, Raina Longstrath. Today's red session is going to be a little bit more content sensitive in terms of we're you know there's going to be some things that are stated here that will be about grief about loss and uh, potentially a a deep way and so we're just allowing our audience to understand that this is that session now that being stated our guest today is an evangelist he is a personal friend and he preached for us today. Um, we're doing this red session on a Sunday, and delivered a a uh, a word from the Lord. Uh, it wasn't an easy word, um, but it was a right word. Mm-hmm. And um, we're entering into this red session with an understanding that there are going to be some things stated today that I know are going to be directly from the Lord. And this is a very unique session. I'm very excited about it, Chris. We're so thankful that you're here with us today. Thank you for being a part of the show and making an investment to our audience. It means a lot that you're here, man. Glad to be here. You're going to love Chris's story. Um, you're going to be moved by this story. You're going to be inspired by this story. And we believe that there is going to be some healing some healing that's going to take place because of some of the things that Chris brings to each one of you. And that's the purpose of these red sessions. We believe that every leader needs to uh, be impacted by content like this because grief, although it may not be Chris on your level, but grief is a part of ministry. It's a part of leadership and it's a part of life. And the ability to be able to handle that and work through that is um, incredibly difficult. But with things like what we're doing today and uh, the value of what we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes is going to help impact, in my opinion, every single audience's life, whether it's now or somewhere in the future. And if it's not you, if this is not a season of grief in your life, I believe that you're going to be able to turn this red session on to somebody who you know, and I'm speaking directly to our audience right now, that is dealing with grief. And um, I want to say this, and then we're going to turn it over to Chris and just allow him to minister. But Chris's 
life is not, Chris, when I look at you, let me say it like this. I don't see a man that is defined by grief. In fact, if no one would have ever told me your story, I would not look at you and say that is a man that has suffered as greatly as you have. And that is a high compliment. And that is the reason why we feel like that your story is going to be so impactful because of what you were acquainted with and your ability to be who you are now is just, bro, I don't know how else to say it. It's just unbelievable. And, um, and so I'm, I'm very, very thankful. Throughout this, Chris, we'll just, we're going to give you your time. We want you to, to just have your, you know, have, have your way with this podcast and this is going to be yours. You have the mic, but throughout this, we might just pause and Ray might ask a question, Chris, what about X, Y, and Z? Or I myself might ask a question or whatever. And, but we want you just to take your liberty today. And I think our audience is going to really enjoy it. So Chris Rumpf, evangelist from the East coast, bro, tell us your story, begin where you want, process it how you want and just man have your liberty today amen it's good to be here first and foremost um just to kind of break down my story i moved to connecticut probably about 2012 2013 with my wife alita we got there youth pastored was in the process during those years of taking over as associate pastor so we were just doing ministry loving god working with the people reaching for souls and in 2019, life took a twist. So basically, in the sense, 2019, she got pregnant. And at that point, it was like joy because it had been 13 years. We've been married and no children. So when that happened, not even a month or two later after she got that announcement of being pregnant, she also got another one that she had breast cancer. My goodness. Mm -mm. So when she got that, we just prayed and sought the Lord and we were like, Lord, what do we do in this situation? Because everybody in the world, you know, you have this box and this paradigm of what you think life should be. You know, you're ministering, pouring out to people, you're giving your all to God. And then something like this comes in. We know the rain falls on the just as well as the unjust. But in the back of our mind, you're hoping it doesn't fall on mm -hmm. you. Yeah. yeah. So it comes. We're like, OK. And the only thing the Lord says is two things. I'll never leave you or forsake you and wait on me. Hmm. Mm. So we're like, okay, and just praying through it. We have to make the decision. So we go in prayer and Alita's like, you know, because they gave us three options. They were like, you could abort the child. You could do chemotherapy, which in itself at this stage could destroy the baby or totally mess it up completely, or you could do nothing. So after praying, the Lord just said, wait on her. So we mm. made the decision to wait, which was... A hard decision, but right. we made the decision to trust the Lord in what he said. We went through, time was going by, and there's a lot of things, you know, just to be plain out there, there's a lot of things people don't realize when people go through uh, sicknesses and such as cancer and different things. When it's untreated, it causes excruciating pain. So you got to picture this. We're still ministering still preaching on faith and going out while we're walking through the hardest trial ever. Like we're going out preaching, coming back and she's up all night screaming mm -hmm. because the pain was so great. 
And everyone knows as, as men, you want to protect and provide and there's nothing. Nothing you can do. I can do except just pray. How old were you guys at this time? She was, actually, I was 39 and she was 39 as well. Oh my goodness, bro. Jesus. And she didn't want to tell a lot of people just yeah. because when you're facing something so great, sometimes you want to be able to process it and make sure the Lord's voice is the voice you're hearing and not everyone giving right. their opinion. So when we went through this time, time just went by and we continued to pray and believe and know that God was, because you always believe God, God's the healer. Yeah. He's going to heal. He can do it. So we would go moving in faith, believing. And as we continued on, time went by and we got all the way till Declan was born. He was pulled out a month early just because of complications with preeclampsia and other things. And just her body was tired. Yeah. So they pulled him out a month early and this is also during COVID. So mm. like, if you, if you can picture this dynamic, like I've never in my life thought I would, anyone would go through this. The child's in the NICU fighting for his life. She's at home with cancer fighting for his life. And I have to go there because two people can't go to the hospital at the same time. So I go there and stay the night with Declan. And then I come back and then she goes there. And there's a sense of you're trying to trust God and believe while you're going through this valley and it feels like you were utterly alone and helpless. And like, as that went on, Declan finally came home. So we were rejoicing in that. So from the time Declan came home, we had about five months. And during that, it was the day before my birthday, my dad calls me and he's like, Chris, your brother passed away. Oh my goodness. Yeah. My brother was 45 and he had passed away because Previously, he had he he drank a lot, but then God saved him. He was filled with the Holy Ghost, but just the the circumstances of his body didn't keep up, and he passed away. So in that moment, it's like you're battling with one thing, and then you're trying to deal with yeah now the loss of your brother, my only brother, mm -hmm. and then Dear not God. even a month and a half later, she passes away. <sighs> And when I tell you I got to the darkest place in my life, I just did not know what to do. Like when I was there in Delaware, I could literally look out the window. And if two people were holding hands, I would break down and cry and be angry. Right. Because you're like, how can you do this? And I understand now why so many people, when they get to a place your natural tendency is to want to try to blame God, yeah. but it's not his fault. Right. But in the moment you are so weak, you don't know what else to do. Yeah. And the only thing you can think of is you have all the power. <laughs> I've seen you heal others. Yeah. So I, I, after that, I decided I needed a sabbatical. I took five months and left and went to Delaware. And I sat there and I just, I, I came under, I have a mentors down there that just kind of talked to me and would pour into me and try to encourage me. But it was, I was, I was about to walk away from God to be very clear and transparent. I just hurt too bad. I had no clarity and it didn't make sense to me. And I remember going to the gravesite, and I was so furious. And I was pulling out and the Lord said, stop the vehicle. 
And I screamed out, what do you want? And as tears were streaming down my face, he said, you're asking the wrong question. Wow. And I'm like, what do you mean I'm asking the wrong question? I just want to know why. Why? Yeah. And he's like, you're asking the wrong question. He said, where were you when she was 16 and she could have died and I allowed her to live? Where were you when all the promises I spoke to her, I fulfilled in her life? Mm. I told her she would marry a minister. I told her she would have a son. Where were you and who are you to question me? And I just broke and I said, well, what's the right question? The right question is, what do I do now? And I stood there for a minute and I was just like, Jesus. well, Lord, what do I do now? And that's when he told me the two hardest things that I would have to do. He said, I want you to go back to Connecticut and face your fears. And I want you to evangelize. And even as I said today, when he said evangelize, I was a youth pastor for like 12 years. I worked with young people. I was like, what do you mean evangelize? There's no way I can do all that. I have a five month old baby and I am by myself. And you now want me to go back to a home alone and raise this child because all my family lives in Delaware. I have no family in Connecticut. And it took me about a month to work through that. And one of my mentors, he said, you're going to preach now. And I was like, no, I'm not. He's like, you're going to preach this Sunday. I was like, no, I'm not. He's like, yes, you are. And after I preached, he said, it's time for you to go back. Mm. And when I tell y'all, I went back. A lot of people think when you follow what God says is going to be easy. That was the hardest season of my life. Yeah, I can't even fathom it. When you preached today and you said that you, he told you to face your fears, could you just name a couple of, of those? Do you mind? Yeah. One of mine was, I've always had the fear of actually being alone to endure things. And because of my childhood, just many things like a spirit of fear many times would come to me and I would be afraid to open my mouth and really speak and do things. I was always like closed off and kind of back just because of life circumstances. And I knew, I knew he was pushing me into a place that he wanted me. And I did not want to go there because I was always trying to be a peacekeeper instead of being more so direct and confrontational. Mm -hmm. But with, with the evangelist calling, that was, that's essential. Yeah. Like confrontation. That, that goes along with that office. You know, you're confronting spirit. I mean, you came here today and when I was praying for you today, I just, all of a sudden I realized this is the first time ever in Oklahoma. He's never faced these spirits, not here, you know, types. Yeah. You know, but not these. So I was praying. So to, to face your fears, absolutely. I mean, yeah. you're, you're, you're walking into a new field, a new, a new ministry. So take us to that moment, bro. When, you and Declan alone walking back into the house. What was what, that like? Take us through the emotion of that. And how did you process? How did that process of, of healing start taking place when your mentors said, hey, it's time for you to, to move forward? Well, once I actually made that trip back to Connecticut and got there, stepping back into the house at first, I want to say because my parents came with me, it was overwhelming but in a sense, it was reserved for a little bit. Mm. It was like, cause you know, you're naturally, he was only five months old. So I'm, I'm still kind of busying myself. 
yeah. learning how to be a dad. And, and that's the crazy part. Cause most of the times you think like when you become a father, like you're going to have someone there to help take care. Like <laughs> yeah. no man thinks in their mind, right. I'm going to have to be a nurturer and a father. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're like, what? Right. So once my parents left and it was only like a few days after, that's when everything hit in. Mm -hmm. And that's when it literally felt like a cold mm -hmm. presence just walked in and would not leave me alone. <sighs> like every day I would just be weeping and crying because I'm like, I'm alone. Yeah. And the, the I would say the strongest emotion I felt was when I went back into the church where I was youth pastoring and doing everything. And when I walked in, all I could do was sob and weep mm -hmm. because it's like everything now is coming back. And like in your mind, you have a, your, it's like when you do things, your mind has a constant, consistent pattern that it always goes through. And now I'm stepping into all these places where the pattern is now destroyed. And like, I don't know what to grasp for. Mm. So it was an overwhelming sense of helplessness. Mm-hmm. The fears of, I don't know what the future is going to hold. And can I do this? Because it's a yeah. life that's in front of you. And he told me to evangelize as well. So I'm like, how does that even look? And how quick was that process? I mean, how quick did the doors begin to open on that? That one, literally, it was only pretty much like a month after I got back. I did make this request to the Lord. I was like, Lord, if you're asking me to evangelize, I'm not calling anybody. If mm -hmm. you open the door, I will walk through it and I'll do and say whatever you want. But I'm not calling anyone. You probably didn't even have the strength to call nobody. No. And make nothing happen. And then it, to me, it would feel like it would be me setting up everything. And if I could put the onus of, you want me to walk through the door? I'll know one million percent. Every door you open, there's something you want to do. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, a month later, I got a call. This pastor's like, hey, could you come and minister at our church? And I'm like, how'd you even know I was back? Then a few weeks later, another pastor calls and then another one calls and then another one calls. And then the calls just start coming in. And here's the part where really I begin to understand why God said evangelism as well, not just as in reaching the souls, but also when I would step into a church, I would begin to start preaching and the Lord would say, share it. And I'm like, share what? Share the pain, share the emotion, share the fears, share it with the people. And I'm like, Lord, I'm not even healed. Hmm. What do you mean? Share it. You know what's going to happen. I'm going to break down. He said, share it. I think a lot of people are waiting until after the pain is over or after the suffering is over until they feel qualified to minister. But that just blows it all out of the water. Minister broken. Yeah. I can minister. You mean I can minister? through brokenness and in the middle of the pain. I don't have to wait till after it's over. You don't have to wait for complete wholeness to be able to minister. Is that what where the beauty and the brokenness comes from? Yes, because what I began to see was when I would step into a pulpit and I would begin to open up the reservoir of emotions, there were so many people in the congregation who were broken, who were fearful, uh -huh. who were messed up. But yet they always had a picture of everyone who would step in a pulpit as they were already healed and through the process. Yeah. But when I got to minister from right. brokenness, it would break them down because they understood you're right where I am. Yeah. There is hope. Yes. 
and we would weep in altars, pray in altars. I remember going down to North Carolina to a church and it was literally, I wasn't even supposed to preach. I was just there, just me and Declan. And the pastor asked us to come in and we came in and he was like, hey, can you just minister on Wednesday? And when I tell you, and God did it again, he was like, share it. Hmm. At the end, all of us were laid out, including myself, because God is trying to heal the body, yeah. but he needs transparency and vulnerability. Yeah, You cannot heal a vessel except you give him every piece. Right. And I've learned that through this process of brokenness, he anoints every piece and every pain and every fear you give him, and he molds it into a beautiful vessel. But while it may look one way to us when we go places and we minister, what's happening is what he's poured into you. That spirit is leaking out of where those cracks yes, were yes, yes. and flowing into areas where you wouldn't be able to see ministering through your brokenness. But in his eyes, it's a beautiful vessel mm -hmm. because it releases what he wants and you've given up control. Yeah. Mm. You made mention of... You specifically said a mentor, but I'm assuming there was multiple men in your life. And I'm, you know, I'm 25 years almost in ministry and feel like that I'm just now starting to come to this understanding of what ministry is about. You know, it's so vast. Oh, yeah. And um, one thing that's very difficult is grief. It's very, very difficult to sit across a table from somebody in that type of situation. Very few people, I think, most of us are acquainted with it. Very few of us would probably be that acquainted. Like, it does it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I don't understand the depth of that. And it'd be impossible for me to say, bro, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I have a story of pain, as we all do. Right, we all have that. Take me to a place where not only were you given that God given direction, but share with the leaders out there. I'm very interested in this as a as a as a pastor, as a leader. What are some ways where we, you and I, can sit and minister to those that are in pain? Can you help us with that? How do, how do we, how do we help Chris from your experience? What things were shared to you? What examples were shared to you? What is it just a being there? Is it a shoulder to cry on? Whatever it is, what were some of those things that really helped you be able to maneuver right to a place of healing and so on? So help us. Okay. I'd say one of the first and greatest things that happened to me and this actually forged a huge relationship is with there's a gentleman who's 85 years old he's the bishop of one of the churches in connecticut he's 85. he found that well he knew everything that was happening on his own time he drove down to delaware and he said i, I don't want to say anything i just want to sit there and be with you hmm. if you need my shoulder i'm here for you it was and he came and that's all he did he didn't try to preach a sermon. He didn't try to go through all kinds of things to say he just sat there. Mm -hmm. And that showed me more in that action he did 
by just being there. Yeah. And it is stuck with me to where now anything he needs, I'm always making sure I'm there for him. Because when people are going through hard times, and I constantly say this, if someone's going through grief or hardship, you better make sure what you're saying is from God. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a scary place. Mm -hmm. And not just you feel like you want to speak something to help them because a lot of times just your prayers on the other side and just a simple hug or a handshake, a tight grip will do more for the person than anything. I remember I went to this one Wednesday night where um, Brother Galen Thompson came and he was just ministering and I was just sitting in the back of the room and all he did was he came from behind and he just put his arms around me and squeezed and I broke. <laughs> he didn't say a word. He just held because sometimes we don't need to hear words. Yeah. We just need to feel the touch that you're present because the greatest thing is the fear of being alone. Mm -hmm. And while you're saying words, our minds so filled, we can't process what you're saying. Like we understand you love, but I've also had people say words that it took it the wrong way. Yeah. During that time, I've had people say crazy stuff. And not to mention, I mean, you have that, you have a grief filter. I mean, you know, you're broken and when you, when you were talking about that hug, it reminded me of when that boy fell, when Paul was preaching, cause he had preached so long. And one of the things that stuck out was he went down there and the Bible says that he embraced him, hugged him and said, don't worry, there's life in him. So that, that, that man of God hugging you, embracing you, breathes virtue into you, breathes Amen. life into you. Um, the power of an embrace. I did want to ask about, I've been reading a lot about grief shares. Did, have you, did you ever join a grief share or was there anything like that offered at your church? Have you, have you, you've read about grief share? I have read about Churches it. have those. I didn't know what your, what your thoughts were on those. Well, actually all these things are good because like, I guess what I had there, Yeah. because when even going back to like the mentoring thing, so I, I've always had, there's like probably uh, two or three couples in Connecticut where we would always connect and we would have dinner and we would like discuss things, ministry, just life and pray together. And I had the bishop and different ones in my life. The bishop actually lost his wife. So me and him had a connection of praying for each other and strengthening each other. So I did have grief shares in so many ways. It's like, I may not have went into the official grief share right. setting, but that is so important mm -hmm. to have it because if I did not have this inner circle of people that could, they would call me and just check on me. Mm -hmm. And even there are times when you finally do get to a place you need to be challenged then. You need them to call and say, how are you doing? Have you gone out? What have you been doing? Like, how have you been feeling lately? Mm -hmm. Because there are times where you'll begin to feel the healing and then nostalgia will kick in. Something will happen and then it will remind you and when the emotions come, you have to let them come. You can't try to push them down. You've got to let it flow out because mm -hmm. in letting it flowing out, you're saying, God, I'm acknowledging here it is. I'm giving it back to you. 
And that's one thing I learned through this process. Many people won't get healing because when the pain hits, they want to conceal it and hold it where God is saying, you've got to cast your cares. You've got to release it in me. Mm -hmm. And that's the main thing that I would constantly do, whether it was in home alone and in prayer, I would keep giving it back. Here's the pain. Here's my frustrations. Here's the anger. The grief share I had, I had people, but the biggest component that will help people to heal is being open and transparent and having a real prayer life of not trying to be pretty, not trying to be cute, but saying, God, I'm holding on by a thread and I need you to take this pain from me. And what a powerful illustration Mm -hmm. of him saying, you're asking the wrong question. These are the wrong questions. Now, he is a God who is acquainted with grief. Yeah. He is a God who is touched by the feelings of our infirmity. So yes. it's, it's not that he doesn't understand. He does understand. But he, he gets the broader picture. A God that stands at the end and looks back is able to say, Chris, you know, I'm, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to not be there. Yeah. But I, I need you to understand something. You need to ask me the right questions. Because I, I'm, I'm moving you, Chris. Like I'm, I'm moving you, and I'm, I'm so intrigued by that. Because here we are talking about grief, and it almost seems like God is just distant, put His hands up, and is, is yeah. saying, "Listen, I'm, I'm all about the transaction here." But that's not what this is about at all. Mm-hmm. Because the intimate moments were the moments when, you know, Declan's sleeping. And you're in a matter of prayer, weeping out into the Lord and allowing him to see this is me. Is this good enough? Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I'm going to have so-and-so call you and you'll be in the pulpit on Sunday. Yeah. But yeah, but, but look how broken I am. I know exactly, but this is exactly where I need you to be here. Yeah. On Bro, what a God we serve. Yeah. What a God we serve that will say, now, listen, I'm going to let you give everything you need, like pour it out. But I need you to ask me the right questions because yeah. there's. There's still a plan. I have not forgotten you. You know what I'm saying? Like in all of that chaos, I just plucked that statement out, Chris. And I'm like, God literally is saying, but there was always a plan. Mm -hmm. Like this was not outside of my control. I can't fathom the pain that you endured. But what I heard today was from the depth of a man that had been in the presence of God broken. You, You... like, Chris, you preach today from a place of knowing the God that you're preaching about. Yeah. You know him. Like, that that comes this way of saying, man, this is, this. I, I'm broken. And, and that also comes by you acknowledging what questions do I ask? Yeah. What is the right, what's the right questions should I ask? Does that make sense? Well, I'm just thinking I one of my questions be, Lord, where these dry bones live? <laughs> Jesus, you know, there's just so many revelations that's coming to my mind when I'm listening to you speak. I know it's because of the depth that you have with the Lord. And it was like, Peter, when he asked Peter, do you love me? You love me? He said, feed my sheep. So in the middle of your brokenness, in the middle of the pain, you're feeding the sheep. He knows you love him. There's no one question. You fed a sheep during all... All of that. So, so you've just enlightened us about, you've told us a story, you've given us this picture of how important ministry is just to be there. And I think, I don't know if I could have thought about how to be better than just to, than just how you said it. And that is just to be present. 
You know what I mean? Just to be present. I think the stress is, it's like, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? You know, how did, but I think it's just get up and go, get up and go, get up and go. You know, no matter what hour it is, can I be there for you? Can I be there for you? Can I be there for you? Um, and I think people have that, that pressure button of when to know, okay, this is too much, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then these, you know, men and women that have helped guide you through this process, are there other tools or habits that you have used these last few years? Are there resources out there for those that are enduring, you know, their level of grief and, and pain that would be a benefit to them? Books or websites or communities? What, are, are there things out there that you would say, listen, and first and foremost, guys, if you have to our audience, if you have not picked up on the fact that this is a man of prayer, yeah. like, let me just say it plain and simple. This is a man of prayer. Yes. Everything about what he is saying is prayer based. Prayer is, is essential. This is where, I mean, if I'm gathering, this is right. This is where the healing process really took place in his presence yes. is in his presence. Yes. But added on to that, like there's some great resources out there. Were there any, if there's not, well, fantastic. But if there's any, and you wouldn't mind sharing that with the audience, I, I think we all would agree that might be incredibly beneficial. So at the time I was going through everything, a lot of things I would go to is I didn't have like tons of like book resources outside of the literally the it, it may be simple but the lord just kept me in the book of job mm. mm -hmm. and then he would also be like all right watch this video on on like transparency or watch this video on this it's like in those moments i wish i would actually had like the book that victor jackson just wrote a word to the broken because that is that sums up a lot that would be a good resource to go for there's other resources that are out there there's a few i'm trying to remember the names if not i'll give it to you and you could put it in the notes later but as far as resources my main resource hard copy was the bible and having certain mentors around and even like i would reach out to people that i've been connected with like teachers and different things and counselors that could pour into me but as far as having something that's written out it was literally prayer in the word mm. he had me in job so much to really begin to see and psalms to just unfold this process and this picture out and i realized why he did this specifically for me because he is using anyone who will make themselves available. But what he wants them to do is see the clear picture in the word that he uses broken vessels and that he uses people. And if we could continue to just stay in the presence and stay in the word and stay connected to the spiritual authorities in our lives, we'll literally get healing quicker than we would if we just continue to push things away or kind of dilly dally around it, not really allow ourselves to grow in those places. But as far as resources, the main resources were being connected to those inner circles, those people who could bless me and help me staying in the word consistently. Prayer was a great one. I'm old school and fasting was a good one, but it's in my, and just making sure you make yourself available. Because that's, that's another caveat. A lot of people want to shut down and just recluse. 
you've got to still get out there and pour out because he can't pour fresh into you if you're not pouring out to mm. someone else. I, I just Ooh. literally thought I'm going to ask him that question. How important to the healing process was giving of <sighs> yourself and, and everything else. And you literally just answered that. That was a huge one. I mean, absolutely huge. He told me, he's like, when you go out, you pour everything out. So you mean to tell me that you can't be selfish, even in the middle of your pain and your brokenness and your heartache and you can't be selfish and you still have to pour out. You're, you still have to be self-disciplined. You still have to pull yourself up by the neck of your neck and say you're going to pray and you're going to worship. And you're, you mean to tell mm -hmm. me all that? Mm -hmm. Wow. Because literally it's developing you. Mm. I've well. learned that when you go through trials and tests, that is literally the moment of developing you into the true nature of Christ. I've had instances where someone stabbed me in the back and while the knife is still being slowly pulled out, he's saying, look at them, pray for them and forgive them. Yeah. Shh, righteousness. And you see, we read scriptures like bless them who curse you and pray for them who despitefully use you. Or I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ that lives within me. Like we read these scriptures, but until you go through seasons and situations they, you will never truly see every aspect of God until God allows us in a situation that will merit him revealing it to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I have seen him in a side I've never seen before. Job said, I heard about him, but now my eyes have seen him. Yeah. I saw the Lord. All those different things that happened to him. It's one thing to hear about it and read about it. But when you're going through your own grief, mm -hmm. it's a thing to say, yes, this is happening. Yes, I'm going through this, but he'll never leave me or forsake me. Right. Those words ring so true now. And I understand why I only said two statements, because now at this point in my life, it brings joy to my spirit, knowing that I could go through the hardest valley and he'll never leave me or forsake yeah. me. And if I wait on him, this season will indeed pass as well. So with those words, <laughs> help somebody that may have just walked into their season of grief and knowing what you know now speak to them as if they were sitting right in front of you and they were to declare i'm i'm entering or i've just experienced the hardest thing what would what would you say to them sum up everything that you've said in the last 35 minutes and talk to our audience for just a few moments the first thing i would tell them is you have to embrace what has happened. Don't try to understand what has happened, mm. but simply embrace it and say, I've come to terms that this has happened. And after you've finally been able to speak those words, you now have to begin to slowly go through the process of now giving it back to the Lord. And it's going to take you crying. It's going to take those moments of pain. It's going to take moments where you don't want to give it to him. You want to hold to it, but you're going to have to each and every day get stronger and stronger, giving him the pain, giving him the feelings, giving him the emotions, giving him the anxiety, giving him everything and saying, I trust you. And then the greatest thing you're going to have to do is worship him through it all. You're going to literally have to become a true worshiper in spirit and truth. 
When the pain comes, lift your hands and worship him. As you, if all you can get out is the name of Jesus, let that name be the name that's first on your lips when the pain hits, when the fear hits. Because the more you connect to him, the more he will begin to heal those pieces and slowly put the base back together again. Because we have a tendency and listeners, you and I always have a tendency to want to try to put it back together again the way oh, we yes. want. Right. But this is in these moments you have to say, Lord, I let go of control. I am the clay and you are the potter. And however long this process takes, I'll wait on you and I'll trust you. And then when you get to a place, you need to begin to allow apostolic submitted voices in your life who have pure motives. Mm -hmm. Let me repeat. Repeat. Apostolic submitted pure voices who can speak Mm -hmm. into your life and be able to check on you and help build you back up again Mm. because you are at your most delicate state and you can't be going to every YouTube video, everything under the sun, listening to every little book out there. You've got to go back to the source Uh in these moments (laughs) because he's the creator. He's the originator of the vessel. Yeah. You're not going to take your Mac to Dell, you're going to take your Mac back to Apple, Yeah, the creator of it. Yeah. And this is why in those moments, we've got to take ourselves back to the creator and say, you build this back up the way you need it to be because he has checks and balances of no, 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 mm-hmm. don't go back there again. And it's a process. It's not going to happen over time. It's been over three years and God has healed me expeditiously. And the reason he's done that is simply because I've let go of control. I've submitted to the authorities in my life and I've I've allowed him to do whatever he wants to do. As I've poured everything out, he pours fresh anointing, fresh healing back in. And then I can go to the next place and it heals me and I can pour into others and I can speak to others and I can reach others because now I'm at the vantage point of looking through his eyes, not my own. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not ministering through me. I'm ministering through his spirit and what he's revealed to me. And this is what those who are listening, it's going to be a process, but you have got to make sure you keep yourself transparent, vulnerable, and submitted and accountable and allow yourself time to truly heal and be honest about where you are in the process because he will allow things to come in to show you where you are. You've just got to be conscious of them. I would encourage these healers or these members who are listening to allow the healer to continue to touch you. Yes. Keep yourself submitted. Keep yourself coming into the house of the Lord. You've got to be consistent. If the doctor says do such and such, you're going to do it. If the Lord says do such and such, stop fighting and do it. Right. And the healing will come. Jesus. That was amazing. All right. So one thing, though, that I want you to address is the grief is not linear. How do you deal with it when you've started traveling down your road of healing, but that thing hits you? What do you do at that point in time? 
Oh, that's a good one. Cause they're like around the time where she's passed always comes around. It's always around the holidays. So I've learned that when those feelings begin to come towards me, once again, I embrace them. And what I've learned is you got to begin to turn a switch and begin to thank God mm. for the moments you've had. Like instead of grieving over, I would begin to recant all the times where, Lord, thank you for the time we had. Lord, thank you for Declan. Lord, thank you for allowing me to go through this to now be a blessing to others. It's always about getting your eyes off yourself because the tendency is when it comes back around mm -hmm. to put Self. your eyes back on yourself again. I'm feeling it. It's happening. Uh, this is such a hard time for me. And it's natural. But you've got to be able to discipline yourself and say, I thank you. Mm -hmm. You've allowed me through this. You walk with me through it. And the more you begin to thank him, the grief begins to change to thanksgiving. And you begin to acknowledge and understand, you know what? God has helped me through this time. And if I can get through this, others can. And then it takes your mind off of you and puts it on others. And this is where once your transformation has happened, God now allows you to impart to others and bless others because it will keep coming back around and around and it will get less and less as God continues to heal you and pour through you, but it will always venture back around. Mm -hmm. And then now God can use this almost as a treasure trove to where you may go into a place and God's like, this person struggling with grief, minister to them. And now you have a place you can pull from because you didn't hide. And even though it comes around, God may lead you in a Walmart where someone's feeling it and you may be feeling it too. And you can go minister to that person. It makes you sensitive to those who are grieving around you as well so that you can always be a blessing. So when it comes back around, the caveat is acknowledging but also thanking and worshiping, beginning to highlight the things that were good. Because if you focus on the negative, you'll slip right back into that place of selfishness mm -hmm. because the grieving process continues, but there is still a borderline selfishness that could appear as grief, but it's just selfishness. I'm glad you asked that because I had just had a conversation with a friend just last week and she had said, you know, this time of year, I always feel like I'm getting into a funk because um, I lost my dad and my brother around this time. And she, and that just made so much sense. You said it's going to come back around, but if you start speaking those things out of your mouth, then it, you start reliving, you know, all that instead of turning it into Thanksgiving. When you Amen. start, I can't, you know, I can't do this. This is the time you just start saying this over and over again. This is why I'm feeling this way. Blah, blah. Instead of turning it your morning into dancing, he'll turn your morning into dancing. Yes. Literally, I was, I'm so glad that you asked that question because I just had this conversation. You always have, you, you have the, just people that have lost people, they'll say this time of year, this time of year, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, yeah. literally, you know. Because <laughs> I know people who were even associated with me who have lost people and it's like we're on two different hemispheres Yeah. because they chose not to go through the process. Yeah. We all are going to go through a process you can never control what happens to you. Yeah. You can only control how you respond. Mm -hmm. It's the only thing you can control. And this is why it's so important to say, wow. Lord, my response will be a thank you for entrusting me with the pain 
and the grief and the healing so now I can be just like you. While you were whipped and mocked and betrayed, you ministered the greatest way to people who hated you. And if we could understand that we have to know him in the fellowship of suffering as well, then we would understand when we get to the power of the resurrection that it's only because of him. Jesus. But many people don't want to know Christ that in way. the fellowship of suffering. They don't. I never did. But until I finally was faced with it, I realized I was the one who was living and it wasn't Christ in me. Hmm. It wasn't her that just died. It was also me, the yeah. selfish me. I'm not the same man that I was there. And that's what we've got to understand. If you're the same person, you didn't pass the test. We have to change and die. It's a hard lesson, but yet if we can embrace the lesson, there is greater on the other side. Job was blessed with double. Job was known all throughout the land. But I'm also sure the people who went through hardship and grief came to Job because of how much he went through. And he was able to minister through that to all those around. That's what the Lord wants you to minister through your brokenness to a world that's broken. <sighs> that he is the way. Thanks for listening. We know that these red sessions are going to add a lot of value to your life. Thank you for being part. Thank you for being a subscriber. 